welcome to EMDR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Roundson, and... And I'm Dr. Michelle Gottlieb, and we're so glad you're with us today. We're going to talk about something that in our in the therapist community, we do talk about a lot, and it's really important. And we want to talk about how EMDR therapy and being an EMDR therapist impacts it. And that's vicarious trauma and clinician burnout. Because what we do as clinicians, as trauma therapists, is really difficult. We get to sit and listen to stories, sometimes really awful stories, of what our clients go through. And, well, Kurt, let's just, what do you think about that, of just what we go through as trauma therapists? Well, because we work in trauma, we see some people, uh, young and old, that have chronicled some horrible, horrible atrocities in their life, from sexual abuse to physical violence to war and um, being trapped and held hostage, these sorts of things, fires, disasters, earthquakes, floods. And, you know, I've been working in trauma for 40, going on 43 years now. And, uh, you know, you think you've heard the worst of the worst in that length of time. And I really thought I had until last year, I heard other stories that left me still stunned and amazed that such horror can be done to people, in this case, children. And so it's everywhere. And those of us that work in trauma, we see the worst of it. I, I liken uh, trauma therapists as being like the ER personnel, the ER doctors and nurses. When you bring someone in there at the worst of the worst, they're wounded, they're bleeding, they're in cardiac arrest, and the job of the ER doctor is to stabilize them, keep them alive, and then move them to the OR room. And in many ways, that's what we are. We, we are ER personnel, and we see the worst of the worst. So it's everywhere, all day, for trauma therapists. And, you know, we have to really think about this. Um, when I'm talking to my students um, in grad school, and I'm, we're talking about the as you hear these stories, you need to not take them with you. Right. Um, because that's what causes the burnout, right? That we, we hear these horrific stories. And Kurt, it's the same thing that I thought that I heard it all too. Yeah. And I heard a story about a couple of years ago that there are some bad people in this world. Yes, Let's just say there that. Are. Some very, very, very <laughs> wounded, horrible things happen. And let me just so, add something. You triggered something in my mind. You know, uh, I've seen two extreme reactions to the hearing of trauma stories with therapists. Uh, the one is that they become hardened. The therapist becomes hardened. Right. And so they, they listen to it like they're reading a newspaper. Now, when you're with the person, obviously, you have to maintain that therapeutic distance and not fall into the second response, was getting so utterly into the patient's story that you become paralyzed in their pain as it triggers your own. So they either become rigid and almost ice cold or become so warm, it's like you're hot and your emotions get in the way of helping the patient's emotions. So those are two rather big extremes and I see both of them in therapists that work in trauma. So it's important to set those healthy boundaries to um, like what's yours, what's not yours. What comes with you? What does not come with you? And, and I say that as if it's easy. It's not. 
and it does take a lot of practice. And, you know, when you first start in this field, all you can do is think about your clients 24-7, talk about them and dream about them. And, and it does take time to, at the end of the day, close your door, walk three steps, and your clients are left behind. And then when you see them again, you can pick them back up. Right. But they need to not come with you. You know, in graduate school, uh, my doctoral program, there was a concept that we were taught called bracketing. Bracketing is like putting quotation marks around something or a bracket around an experience and setting it on the shelf so that we can continue being present with the person we're with in therapy. Now, a common example outside of trauma would be you get a disturbing phone call just before your next appointment and you're riled up because of this, whatever the phone call was. You're upset about that phone call and outside your door in your waiting room, is that next patient that needs you being present with them. And if we go in, particularly with trauma patients, because they're very sensitive to the psychological and emotional state of their therapist, because trauma has taught them to be sensitive. And they're very sensitive. And they pick stuff up in us as therapists that many people don't, even our friends may not. But we have to be present. So we have to be able to bracket that phone call, set it on the shelf, be present with that patient be there with them, and then when that's finished, at some time during that day, we need to go back to the shelf, get that thing off the shelf that we bracketed, and deal with the emotions ourselves. You know, Michelle, what we have to do is that we have to develop, guess what, containers for our stuff to be present with our trauma clients, just like we teach our participants in EMDR training to do with their patients. We have to practice that. And I was thinking, you know, when we were talking, uh, we had a podcast a couple of times ago about dissociation, and we talked about how clinicians compartmentalize. Right. Which is exactly what you've been talking about, and that as part of our development, so that we don't burn out, so we can stay present with our clients, we need to compartmentalize. We put that in its own little compartment, pick it up later. Uh, you know, um, you know, I've been doing EMDR over 30 years, and I was in practice about 12 years or longer before EMDR came along. And so I was using other standard uh, therapeutic interventions at that time. <clears throat> but even then, early 12, 14 years into my early uh, psychology career, I would carry stuff home. It, I had a weight on my shoulders. I did the best I could to leave it in the office. But sometimes, because I was young in my career, it was difficult to do. And I, I would go home, and I had an 80-pound body bag in my garage, and I put on boxing you know, training gloves, and I'd just beat the crap out of that bag. Uh, I didn't know then I was doing left-right punches, which is bilateral, but uh, it, to try to drain it off of me. And then an right. interesting thing. I took EMDR training. And what I began to experience with EMDR training was because we see improvement often very quickly, not always, but often. And I began to trust that the brain would do what it was built to do, and that's to heal. And I began finding that with my practice of EMDR therapy, I, I'm able to leave every night with my shoulders loose, you know, heading home and everything is left behind me because I know we have an intervention, a psychotherapy that actually 
helps people overcome their trauma and they don't have to stay in that mess anymore. So I no longer carry it at home because of my own use of EMDR therapy. So as we move into the difference between, as a clinician, using EMDR therapy as opposed to any other modality, you know, I think if there's two reasons why I don't carry all that trauma with me all the time, all of my clients' trauma with me, one is exactly what you said, right? We see the healing happening. We know we are helping our clients. We see that they're getting better. And that is huge, right? You know, I'm no longer just helping people cope with their trauma, but they still have it. They're still just as wounded, but they now have better coping mechanisms. I'm actually helping people heal. And what does that do for the clinician, right? That's enormous for us. We came into this field to help people heal. But the second reason why I think in particular EMDR therapy for on the clinician side is so helpful for us for us not to carry vicarious trauma is our clients don't have to tell us all the details. They don't have to tell us all the story. Now, let me be clear, if they want to, if it's right for them to say it, that's different. Right. But I don't require it as part of the therapy. They can tell me like just one word and we can keep on going because as you said, their brain is doing the healing. And, and EMDR therapy is really not a talk therapy. We've said that many times, and it's true. Uh, words don't bring down, does, words themselves do not desensitize a traumatic incident. The brain does. Right? Yeah. Right? So now think about this. It's, for those of you who are listening who are not EMDR trained, those of you who are EMDR trained are just nodding your heads going, yeah, totally, that's why I do this. But for those of you who are not EMDR trained, I want you to imagine this scenario. You have a client who has uh, whatever horrible traumatic experience they've had, and and we're not going to give you examples because I know you've heard them too. But you've done kind of a maybe a little bit of a sketch of the the memory, the the little bit of the image, that irrational thought, the emotion, body sensation. And then the brain starts to work, that bilateral uh, stimulation that we keep talking about, right, left, right, left. The brain starts to work. And at the end of a set of bilaterals, the client may say, oh, my gosh. And that may be all they say. And you say, great, go with that. Or they may say, that hurts. And you say, go with that. Or they might say, um, I hate him. Go with that. But they don't say all the details of what's behind the, oh, my gosh, I hate him, that hurts. And also, one other th- let me jump in real quick, that one of the things about that is that we don't need to know who they hate. We don't know what hurts. So as a therapist, we don't have to throw in questions like, what's hurting you? Who are you hating? Where are you? Because from the EMDR perspective, asking those kinds of questions interrupts the brain's processing or reprocessing of a traumatic memory. We don't need to know. And Kurt, I've heard you say this multiple times. Um, it it does kind of make us realize that we might may not be quite as important in that room as we think we are. Yes, yes we are. We're, we we are holding that space for them. We are creating an environment that allows them to do the work. But hey, we don't we don't have to do some of that probing and some of that other other stuff. Right. We don't have to piece the thing together for them. Their brain will do it. And I found thousands of times now, that where I thought something was going to go, 
under my old interventions, I would have tried to link things together for them to grant, to interpret or give them insight into their behaviors or their circumstances. And in EMDR therapy, I was taught to shut up. Just let the brain do what it does. And the number of times the brain goes to something that I or the patient had no idea it would go to. And I could never have interpreted or have guided or have connected it or incited it for that patient. And how number of times, how about you, Michelle, where you're sitting there and the patient says, oh my gosh, I never thought it would go to that. You know, and I say this oftentimes during the trainings that when I first started doing EMDR therapy in, in my own head, not with a client, I would like make a prediction about how we would get to that adaptive resolution, that healthy place. Right. I was always wrong. Yep. And their solution, if you will, was so much more elegant than I would have ever been able to do. Much more elegant and in some ways, surgically precise. Mm. Right. Now, one of the things that in general, we, you know, we often do things in therapy because we think it's the right thing. We may not have the research to support it. And so Kurt and I are telling you EMDR therapy is going to help you as the clinician um, not have vicarious tra uh, trauma and not have the clinician burnout that you would have with other therapies. And we're telling you our experiences. But I'm going to tell you there's actually a research article that will be published in the EMDR journal in November. And, I, and I'm, going to, I'm going to stop you right there, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to talk about the foundations of this research article. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You know, for years, in, when I when I was training, I, I would stand in front of the room of, of clinicians, and we'd have we'll have doctoral students, master's students, and I would always throw out, "I have a a dissertation idea for you." I believe my own experience has been that doing EMDR therapy has. Pre prevented me from becoming vicariously traumatized by the stories of my clients because of the very thing I spoke about a few minutes ago. I don't have to know the details, and it is a much different kind of way of dealing with trauma. And so I said, if you want to do a dissertation, I encourage you to do a dissertation where you compare the traumatization, vicarious traumatization effects of EMDR therapists versus other trauma-informed approaches. For years, I said it. Let me say it again, Michelle. For years, I said that. And Notice he never actually did the research. No, no, no. That's why I was encouraged someone else to do it. Now, it's all yours. <laughs> all right. So a colleague of ours who actually went back and got is getting her PhD right now, or PsyD right now, um, um, did, did the study and said, I'm third author on it, but she's the main author, Patricia Bianca Torres. And it will be in the... Um, our journal in November. Yay. Yes. Um, and it compares PE, prolonged exposure, clinicians who do PE and clinicians who primarily do TFCBT to clinicians who primarily do EMDR therapy. Guess what we found out? People who primarily do EMDR therapy have much less vicarious trauma and much less burnout. I was right. Let's say it. Come you, on. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> no, I'm so glad that Patricia went and did that. And I'm because, you know, it's another piece of evidence that EMDR therapy does what it says it does. Right. Absolutely. And now let's just take this a little bit further. So I know, I know of a lot of clinicians, not EMDR clinicians, but a lot of clinicians who got burnt out and stopped and are no longer in the field. 
And like right now, we're in a huge mental health crisis. Right. Huge. There's right. not enough clinicians available. My practice is beyond full. Everyone I know's practice is beyond full and getting phone calls every day, people looking for clinicians. If all those folks, can you imagine, Kurt, if all of those folks had been EMDR trained and were still available? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we're getting a lot of young therapists that are coming up young, anyone below 70, I guess. Uh, <laughs> don't laugh. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. But, you know, younger uh, therapists are coming in and they're beginning to get the, you know, the that churning in their gut because they get something. They see something that works. Don't you wish, Michelle, that you got this when you were in graduate school? Oh, so much. So much. Because I was so... I got so frustrated that I couldn't help people heal. I got so frustrated. Yeah. Like I was just giving them Band-Aids. So, yeah. And that was part of my frustration also was that uh, you've heard me say before that I settled with getting people functional. Hmm. That means that they could do their list of daily activities. You know, they might be able to show up for a job. Might be able to drive their car on the street, not on the freeway, but they were functional. And that was much better to them than how they were when they came in to see me before, the first time. And right. we were satisfied with function. Ugh. With EMDR therapy now, we, we blow through functionality and move into thriving. And that's what keeps me excited every day. Right. And, and like we talk about during the training, it's not enough for our clients to be survivors. Right. They need to be thrivers. Thrivers. Because ironically, to be, to, you're a victim of trauma. The trauma owns you. You become a survivor of trauma, and you're not in the trauma anymore. But by the very fact you identify as a survivor, you're a survivor of what? Of trauma. Right. So there's some still identification with the trauma. Moving into thriver means... That I no longer, I'm a survivor, but I no longer identify with the trauma at all. It's a historical piece. It's a narrative. It happened. It's not me today. So here's the bottom line of where we're going to. You know, you've been, if you've been following our podcast for a while, you've heard us talk about how EMDR therapy is phenomenal for our clients, but it's also phenomenal for you, the clinician, right. as well. So thank you all for listening. Um, I hope this has been helpful and thoughtful. And, and by the way, if you ever have any topics that you think you would love for us to um, um, go over and talk about, please uh, email us at info at emdrprofessionaltraining.com. If you ever want to look at uh, our, who we are and what we do, it's emdrprofessionaltraining.com. Um, and again, thank you. We really appreciate all that you do to bring healing to the world. Thank you, and until next time, stay clear, stay healthy. Mm -hmm.